And now I've chosen this book of the Bible because it's all about finding joy in every circumstance. And it's a letter of joy written to a church that came about through twists and turns and unexpected journeys. And I thought that uh, we as this church could relate to that, right? And we just even as people could relate to the twists and turns of the unexpected journeys of life. Right? I think everyone here could say that they have found themselves in varying degrees of hard circumstances, at least in the past few years. We could all say that since at least 2020, and then various depths that everybody has experienced since then. Even in the last few weeks, I know there have been various things that have happened in folks' lives that have been unexpected disappointments, tragedies, scares, different things that have happened. And so where is God in all these? Where is God when life is disrupted? Now this nearly 2,000-year-old letter that we're going to look at today, it was written by the Apostle Paul, uh, likely while he was under house arrest in Rome. And so he can't leave his house. He's separated from many of those that he loves. He can't visit the many churches that he started all over the Roman Empire. One of those churches is the church at Philippi, right? the, the, the church of the Philippians, the one that he is writing to, the one this letter is named after. And so Paul was an apostle of Jesus, just to give you a little background on him. We've talked about him before. It just means that he was sent by Jesus to share the good news all over the world, to start churches in various areas, and that's exactly what he did. So he traveled to many major Roman cities, and he shared the gospel. He put leaders in place. He established churches, and he cared about every single church that he started. And while he's looked at as very successful in his pursuits, right, we can look back and think the Apostle Paul did a pretty good job, right? But his entire ministry is filled with these disruptions. And they're not friendly disruptions. If you track through his story, you'll encounter arrests. You'll find beatings. You'll find times when he was shipwrecked. You'll find times when he was bitten by snakes. There's a story of somebody falling asleep and falling out of a window while he's teaching. Right? That actually really happened. It's in Acts 20. Even the planting of the church of Philippi, the church of the Philippians, was the result of a disruption. So the whole reason why we have this letter to the Philippians is because of a disruption. But we're going to see that through Paul's experience with Philippi, that God gives direction in disruption. God gives direction in disruption. And not only in disruption, but he gives direction through the disruption as well. Now Paul hadn't originally planned to start a church in this place, Philippi, at the time. In fact, he was on a roll with his missionary travels, carrying out the mission of God. He was ready to go further east from Jerusalem, further east, when God himself prevented him and his team from sharing the gospel in those eastern areas. And it's after this that Paul has a dream, and this is recorded in the book of Acts. It says in Acts 15, 6, During the night, Paul had a vision in which a Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, Cross over to Macedonia and help us. Now Macedonia is that, that region that is current Greece, 
That's where Philippi was, okay? Cross over to Macedonia and help us. After he had seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So God disrupts their trip to Asia and he directs them to Macedonia. Macedonia, this Roman district that we call today Greece, housed the city of Philippi. Paul and his team, they're pursuing God's mission to make disciples of all nations, heading to these areas where people haven't yet heard of Jesus doing it, uh, even seemed like what God wanted them to do, right? Going to where they felt like God wanted them to go, yet God prevents them from continuing to Asia. Sometimes God disrupts even good things, right? It's a good plan to go and preach the gospel in places where people haven't heard the gospel. That was Paul's plan. But God, it says the Holy Spirit prevented them. Right? The Holy Spirit prevented them. Sometimes God disrupts even good plans because he has better plans. And by that I don't mean he's leading us into more comfortable things. I'm not saying this in the way that you say the one-liner when you didn't get something you wanted. It's because God has something better for you on the other end of it. If we're thinking better means bigger house, you know, more comfortable house, more, uh, you know, better car, whatever it is, that's not always the case. That's not the kind of better that I'm talking about. Uh, I don't necessarily mean that God has things that we desire. I just mean that by nature of God's all-knowing goodness, his plans are better than ours. Even when we're at our best, we are limited in our knowledge, right? And we're mixed in our motives. And God directs us through disruption. And disruption is the theme even as Paul and his team arrive in this place called Philippi. We find all of this in the book of Acts. This is the history that's going to inform our understanding of his letter to the Philippians. Right, so after being in Philippi for a few days, Luke, the author of Acts and a member of Paul's team, he writes this in Acts 16, 13. He says, On the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate by the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women gathered there. So they expected to find a place of prayer, and instead they found a group of women gathered in this place. But instead of finding another place to pray, they decide to talk to the women. Luke says in verse 4, A God-fearing woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, was listening. The Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. After she and her household were baptized, she urged us, If you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. And here you see these first members of this Philippian church. This woman has just now believed in Jesus. She's obviously a wealthy woman. She deals in purple cloth, a very expensive color to have back then. And she invites them to stay at her house. And God disrupts good things and he directs toward better things. This is what I mean by better. Someone believing the gospel, relationships being formed, hospitality happening. 
Another day, as they're walking to pray, which seems to be a theme here, they meet a different woman who's a psychic slave. And she keeps following them in their journeys, and she's yelling at them. It goes on for weeks until Paul finally commands the spirit out of her, and she is liberated. Her masters, who made a lot of money off of her talents, they get furious with Paul, and they drag him and his friend Silas to the authorities who beat them and put them in jail for disrupting society. They spend their time in jail praying and singing hymns, and suddenly there's a violent earthquake, and miraculously their chains fall off, the doors are flung open. The jailer who's in charge of that area decides to kill himself because he thinks that he's as good as dead, because if the jailer were to lose their prisoners, then they would be executed. Or a jailer could be killed by those prisoners who are being released. Now instead of escaping, verse 28, Paul calls out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself because we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He's probably thinking of his physical life. But they say this in verse 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him along with everyone in his house. He took them the same hour of the night. And look what he did. He washed their wounds. This man who had, had been guarding their prison, right? washed their wounds, and right away, he and his family were baptized. The church is growing. He brought them into his house, set a meal before them, and rejoiced because he had come to believe in God with his entire household. God directs through and in the disruptions. And there's this recurring theme of praying, right? Praying as Paul and his team begin this new work in Philippi. All while God is working by disrupting them, right? Disruption after disruption. They're there because they're, they've been disrupted. And as they're there, they keep having these interruptions. They go to pray at a certain place, and there are women gathered there. But instead of going by another place to pray, they talk to the women, right? They, they are trying to just go about their business. They've got another woman following them and screaming at them, right? Instead of just leaving her to her slave masters, they liberate her. Yeah. Right? They're in prison, and even being in prison isn't a normal experience. An earthquake happens, and then they've got this jailer who comes in, and instead of just rushing out, they preach the gospel to him, and he becomes a believer. Right Through these series of events planned by God and not them, people are being saved, and community is being built. And there are the beginnings of the Philippian church. These are the people that Paul was writing this letter to. There's a history behind this letter. All relationships have origin stories. And we've been given the gift of having this one in the book of Acts, which adds color and context to the letter that we're going to be looking through over the next nine weeks. This will lead us right up to Easter. Now, Paul carries this history into his writing when he writes to his beloved church in Philippi. First, he greets them. Now we're looking at Philippians 1. First, he greets them as saints in verse 1 of Philippians 1. Because of Jesus, 
Those in the Philippian church are saints. They are holy ones. And that goes for all believers. Right? Jesus takes us as sinners, and in him we become holy because he is holy. And Paul watched these transformations happen. He watched them with his own eyes. He remembers them. It's why after his greeting, he begins his letter in chapter 1, verse 3, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul in prison. He's in prison while he's writing this letter. He has joy and gratitude as he remembers his partners in the gospel. And he says their partnership has continued since day one, even though they're not together. Our commitment to each other and to the gospel can continue in all circumstances. When the where and the how are disrupted, the what and the why remain, right? The what, we are the church. Right? The why remains the same too, the gospel, right? We're driven by the good news of Jesus to be good news people. We're compelled by the love of God to love our neighbors, and we're designed to bring Jesus glory and praise, and that never has to stop, no matter what the circumstance is in our life, no matter the journey that God has us on as a church or as individuals. And God's work never stops. Paul says to the Philippians, I'm confident that God, who started a good work in you, will carry it out to completion. That's the journey I was talking about with the kids. Think back uh, to even almost three years ago, right? Out of, out of all the projects that happened after, like, in March 2020 comes, right? All the projects that got put on hold in 2020, all the work that stopped, all the funds that had been frozen, did God stop working in that time? Right? Did God stop working? No. And he has set a day, Paul says, he'll carry out this work to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He's the God of the beginning. He's the God of the middle. He's the God of the end. God is at work in the church, in our church, in other churches, in each of you, in the folks that make up other local churches. And he won't leave us half finished. Everything is getting you ready for a day. And we can have assurance that it's not our work that saves us, but God's work. One commentator named J.A. Motier says it this way. He says, the assurance God gives us not only guarantees the outcome, it guarantees every experience of every day, for in all things God is putting the finishing touches. Good news, bad news, difficulty, blessing, Unexpected happiness, unexpected trouble, it all has a purpose. God directs in the disruption. Paul has joy in the unstoppable work of God and the unwavering partnership of the Philippian church. 
And, and this isn't just an unfounded encouragement. He says in verse 7, Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you, because I have you in my heart, and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Paul says, it's right for me to think of you this way because he loves this church and because they've given him no reason to think otherwise. Right? Their lives show that they're partners with him, not only in ministry, but in grace, meaning that their love shows that they understand the love of God. Right? They're co-recipients. They're also receiving God's grace. They've responded to the message of the gospel. They've received salvation. They've become co-missionaries in sharing the good news of that grace. The Philippians did not give up on the gospel. They did not give up on their partnership with Paul and one another because the foundation of that partnership goes deeper than anything we could name. It's based on the love of God and it continues by the work of God. The church can continue their partnership in the gospel regardless of circumstances. Even as a small group, right, we're rarely in one place at one time, right? Somebody's either sick, out for whatever reason, right? We're, it's hard to get everybody even in the same place at one time, right, for whatever reason. But we can have joy in praying for one another, Right? And checking in on one another, even in sharing that we miss one another. Yeah. Right? Maybe that's with people in this church alone. Maybe it's with other believers or other people outside of this church. Right? But Paul writes in verse 8, For God is my witness, how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Could there be a stronger statement of love? I yearn for you is another way this could be translated. It's, it's the same verb Paul uses later in this letter to say that he's homesick. But he's telling this church, I'm homesick for you. Paul misses his friends. He misses Lydia. He misses the former sidekick. He misses the jailer and their families. These are real people. But his love is real. To say God is my witness is to say the one who sees everything, the one who knows the depths of my heart can confirm I am homesick for you. He says he yearns for them with the affection of Jesus. There's so much packed in that statement. Jesus' affection for his church. And so not only is Paul amplifying his own affection by saying that, but he's also reminding us of the love of Jesus, the affection of Jesus. And it made me think of just that yearning affection that Jesus has for us now. That even though uh, we have the Spirit of God within us and God is with us at all times, we're not with Him like we will be with Him on the day of Christ Jesus, as Paul called it. Right? We're not with Him the way that we will be with Him. The day that Paul calls, called, the day that Paul says, God is working up until the day that he's preparing us for. God loves us. This reminds me of Jesus' prayer in John 17. We talked about this 
a couple weeks ago, just as he's about to head to his death on the cross on our behalf, he prays for all believers. After a long prayer that the church would be one and united, he prays for every believer in John 17, 24. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am so that they will see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the world's foundation. I want them to be with me where I am. Jesus wants to be with us. Jesus wants us to be with him. Just a few chapters before this prayer, he tells his disciples that he's going to prepare a place for us. To prepare a place for us. This is the love of God. And so Paul talks about his love, God's love. And then in verse 9, Philippians 1, he shares his prayer for the Philippians' love. One that applies to us as well. He says, and I pray this, that your love will keep on growing. Paul prays that their love would grow. And we should pray that our love would grow. No matter our circumstance, our love can always grow, right? Love can grow in any circumstance. An ever-expanding and deepening love should be a marker of God's church. Now, is he talking about our love for God or our love for one another here? Both. Yeah, both. He intentionally leaves this broad because love is both. Right? Love is both. Jesus said the greatest commandment is twofold. Love God and love your neighbor. Paul goes on. He says, I pray that your love would grow in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and make pure and blameless and may be pure and blameless on the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So Paul gives a clear vision of the type of growth that he's praying for. This growth, this is growth with some serious roots, right? There are two ways he says he wants love to grow. And he says that's in knowledge and discernment. A knowledge that feeds love, right? A knowledge that feeds love and a discernment that directs it as it grows. Christian love comes from knowing God first and foremost, Right? Uh, author slash Bible teacher Jen Wilkin writes, the heart cannot love what the mind does not know. Right? We need to know God to love God. And true knowledge is what's gone from the head to the heart to the hands. Yeah. It's why I said earlier that Paul is confident that the Philippians understand the love of God because they display the love of God. That's what makes him confident that they understand the love of God, is that they display the love of God. We love God because he first loved us. 1 John 4.19 And our love is fed by this knowledge of God and the things of God. Right? It's not unemotional, but, it, but it's also not unfounded. It's not only an emotional love. That is part of it. We should, our love for God shouldn't be devoid of emotions, but it also is grounded in truth. Yeah. God has loved us by sending his son Jesus to stand in the gap between us and God. Right? Our sin was the ultimate distancer between us and the perfect God. 
So God took on flesh and entered human history to take every ounce of our sin upon himself as he died on the cross in our place. Jesus broke the barrier between us and God. He bridged the gap. Right? He broke the barrier between us and one another and brought us near through his death. And he was raised from the dead. He exists today fully God, fully man. He ascended to heaven and he's returning again. And that's the day, capital D, of Christ that Paul keeps referencing in this letter. This is the day that we'll be ready for because Christ has not only taken our sin, but he's given us his holiness. A good work has begun in us that God is going to see through to completion. It's in this knowledge that our love should grow. Knowing Jesus. Knowing his word. And the second love growth area that Paul talks about is discernment. Essentially being able to distinguish between what's bad and what's best. Right? This is a time when, when, when our love needs to grow in discernment. Right? We are in a time especially where our love needs to grow in discernment. What is God doing? Right? What's his direction? I've been asking this a lot lately. That's why we took all January to pray. How can we avoid a pointless wrestle against the Spirit of God when he says, No, I'm directing you to another place. Right? If you feel like you're stagnant in your walk with God, it's a good time to ask him for help. It's a good time to ask him for discernment, to examine our lives and see if we are cultivating this growth of discernment, right? By spending time with God in prayer, by learning, right? Paul says, from these two roots of knowledge and discernment will come our ability to approve what is superior, right? To not just avoid what's bad, but to see what's good and what's better. And out of these will come our own inner purity and blamelessness on the day of Christ. In verse 11, he says, the fruit that will come from all of this is righteousness that came through Jesus Christ, that it will result in the praise and glory of God. This is the work he's completing in us when he directs us in the disruption, when we maintain our partnership with him and with one another. Right? God is at work. He will bring about righteousness in his people through all circumstances, including everything that we face today. Whatever it might be, your circumstance today, whatever you might be struggling with, God is with you in this. Right? God loves you in this. God is working in this. God is not giving up on you in this. The God who didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, he won't stop working until he's finished. We can have joy that there is direction in the disruption, and that God will complete the work that he set out to do in us and through us. <clears throat> 